we have the ability now to separate the authority to make a decision and the responsibility for enforcing the decision. Now we can move the role of enforcing decisions to the blockchain and move the ability to take decisions out to the periphery of the organization. Pushing the authority to the edges of the organization so that the people who do the work are the ones with the decision-making authority. That was a key guiding principle in how we thought about everything within Colony. This is Simone Cicero, the host of the Bandless Conversations podcast, an ongoing exploration on the future of platforms and ecosystems. These conversations help us make sense of what's coming next with platform business models, the dynamics of marketplaces, business ecosystems, and much more. Join me, my regular co-host, Sina Heikila, and other guests as we explore new perspectives about how we organize a scale in a rapidly changing world. So, welcome back to the third season of the Boundaryless Conversation podcast. We are in this first episode with the usual hosts, so myself, Stina Heikile, and Simone Cicero. Hello, hello, everybody. And in this opening episode of the season, we had a great conversation with Jack DeRose and Aaron Fisher from Colony. And Colony is what they call an infrastructure for internet-native organizations. And what they do is that they provide a framework for decentralized autonomous organizations, or DAOs, which you will hear a lot about in this conversation. And they are really helping this ecosystem to grow and to thrive. So we wanted to offer a small commentary uh, with some highlights of the conversation ahead of the episode. Yes. Uh, I mean, the, the, the episode was great to me. I think uh, I want to just highlight a few points for our listeners to focus on. And um, the first uh, interesting point that emerged in the conversation uh, is this idea that's behind the colony that organizing it's uh, you know a lot of what what we call organizing is about distributing budgets through uh, reputation so that's uh, uh, something that i felt it was a very interesting in the in the theory of organizing let's say and also another another interesting point where uh, where we were talking about daos in general and basically the conversation surfaced this idea that uh, it's important in DAOs that they have this self-execution aspect. So this idea that the organization self-executes and in Colony, there are lots of time-related mechanisms to induce execution, let's say. And I was a bit puzzled, you know, while I was having this conversation with regards to the idea that Jack said at some point, he said, you know, we don't need slower organizations, which to some extent I agree, but from other points of view, uh, don't we? So that that's the point that, uh, for example, we discussed a few times last uh, in, during last season. No? the idea of a reflective organizations that uh, leave space for uh, for uh, for reflection. Uh, indeed. Uh, then a few other interesting points that uh, that I have on my notes uh, uh, from the conversation. I think uh, it's this idea that we debated longly that essentially. Uh, it's true that technology is important, but how do we build the capabilities in people to actually take over organizational challenges that we are seeing emerging in the space? So I, I've asked it a few times, for example, to the, to the guys, uh, what are people doing with Colony? And uh, and I think uh, uh, one interesting thing that emerged in this conversation is how Colony allows uh, uh, you to create uh, currencies that can, to some extent, create these uh, new 
uh, easy a possibility to overcome the friction at the start of an organization. So basically, if you don't have money, you can create money and you can account this money through uh, reputation. And you know, later on, possibly find uh, a business model or a financing model and then maybe redistribute uh, sound money according to the, to the reputation that was developed at the start. The last point probably that I, I want to highlight is this idea that at the end of the day, we started the conversation talking about DAOs and in general, the work that Colin is doing as uh, some sort of commoditization of organizing, componentization. And indeed, we, we hear a lot about uh, uh, blockchains as modular. Uh, but in, at the end of the day, uh, entrepreneurship cannot really be commoditized. So I guess that a lot of value in these systems of uh, modular organizations and so on will accrue in how do you generate the network effects in, in terms of connecting uh, these entrepreneurs with their maybe their investors or their community uh, participants and uh, some, to some extent also how do you connect them with each other so that they can learn and, and, and foster, let's say, this type of, uh, these new types of entrepreneurship that we are seeing. Uh, so th- those are my, my notes uh, from, from the conversation. What I really took from this episode is that I, I think Aaron and, um, and Jack, they do such a good job in explaining this topic really well. I read the white paper and I struggled with some of the maths and the technicalities of it. But the work with Colony is really about making this more accessible and making it something that you don't have to have, (laughs) let's say, a PhD in mathematics to understand. So I I think this was really an eye-opening conversation from me from that perspective. So you can find the full episode details, including transcript, more about Jack and Aaron's work, their bios, and so on, on our brand new website. If you go to boundaryless.io, and then look under the section resources, you'll find the podcast and everything we're talking about. So that's boundaryless.io. Enjoy the first episode. Welcome back, everybody, at the Boundaryless Conversations podcast. It's been a few months that we didn't release any new episodes. And so I'm excited to start again. Uh, today with me, there is uh, my usual co-host, Sina Ekila. Hello, hello. And uh, we have two exceptional uh, guests that I want to introduce you, Jack Rose and Aaron Fisher. Those two guys are both uh, involved uh, in the core team that runs the project called uh, Colony, also the hosts of a fantastic podcast that I am uh, such a big fan of. It's called Collectively Intelligent. It's been releasing a lot of uh, very important conversations and very I would say, relevant conversations around the blockchain and uh, this interplay with the you know, human systems, basically. Uh, essentially, I'm really looking forward to have this chat with you guys. First of all, welcome, Jack. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And Aaron. So, welcome. Hello. So, guys, a first uh, question that I was thinking about is probably just a brief uh, introduction to our listeners about what uh, uh, Colony is, and most importantly, I would say, what kind of role is seeking to play in the ecosystem around DAOs and, and, and these things uh, of which we're talking about? All right. Well, we see Colony as being a DAO framework. So it's a pretty holistic DAO framework. It's intended to be a way that you can get up and running with everything that a DAO needs to be doing on-chain um, in about 90 seconds from from zero to DAO, 90 seconds. 
it's really focused on on-chain governance. And from that perspective, it's by on-chain governance, we mean that when a group of people uh, is able to make a decision together, their decision will actually directly cause the consequence that they they were seeking to to make. So there's not some kind of signaling vote that's going on um, that then has to be enacted by some other trusted third party. Rather, this is a system of rules that allows people to work together, make decisions, and actually cause that decision to manifest. Jack said it right. We want to be this DAO framework. That means we're not, we don't want to be very prescriptive. So when people launch DAOs on some blockchain, there's often a very rigid hierarchy or set of rules and set of votes that need to be taken and proposals submitted. We did not want to do that. We wanted to create a far more flexible framework that, you know, it, it empowers people to to take decisions collectively, to take actions collectively and does not get in the way. Um, so yes, we're trying to make it easy to collaborate, easy to coordinate, but at the same time, allow them to leverage the power of blockchain smart contract platforms for when they are necessary to it in dispute resolution and if there's disagreements. And in all other instances, we try to get out of the way and just make it easy for people to, yeah, to use these systems and to hide the complexity as much as we can. The target, as I understand, is very much that of the team, let's say, you know, that, uh, that, you know, the teams that run the organization. So the, the interesting idea that I think we are pointing out here is that there is this uh, reference to uh, something that self-executes. So basically, ex it works according to the rules. And uh, uh, this basically uh, removes the need for power over you know, for something that imposes the rules from the top. It's much more, you know, the rules are there, are written in the contracts. So I think there is this powerful idea of overcoming the middleman, let's say, you know, am I right in, in this idea of DAOs of which we are, we are talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's key to it really is that there is no trusted intermediary whose job it is to execute on, on things. And, and I think like, from an organizational perspective and from a, from a, a design perspective and how this all works, we were really very inspired by systems like holacracy or sociocracy, I suppose. Um, actually, more generally, the whole responsive organization movement about pushing the authority to the edges of the organization so that the people who do the work are the ones with the decision-making authority. And that's... Um, yeah, that, that was a key guiding principle in how we thought about everything within Colony. And indeed, we have the ability now to separate the authority to make a decision and the responsibility for enforcing the decision. And often those two were one and the same in, like in, in, in a person, in a role. Now we can move the role of enforcing decisions to the blockchain and move the ability to take decisions out to the periphery of the organization and that's where the, your comment, I think, on teams comes from. Um, what we try to do is make all decisions as local as possible, directly by the people who are influenced by them and not coming down some long chain of command, some top-down hierarchy. So in that sense, yes, teams or just the smaller the unit that can take a decision, the better it is, um, because that's more flexible, more agile, and they're more, more likely to have the correct knowledge, domain knowledge for most day-to-day -day decisions. So 
specifically, we're not talking about a proposal for a quarterly plan or an annual budget. We're really talking about the day-to-day decisions that go into an organ in any organization, any company, any club, um, all the little day-to-day decisions that that guide the actions of, of the members. And it's all of those that we want to enable um, in a completely decentralized, trustless, or at least potentially such a setting. Can we basically interpret this as a commoditization, the componentization of organizing, like something like becoming a utility, uh, something that is pervasive, ubiquitous, uh, cheap, easy to, easy to use, m- much more than it is now today with bureaucracies, I mean? I think quite possibly, and I think maybe even more specifically than that, the sort of commoditization, if you want to put it that way, of these newer more exotic forms of organization because the the sort of traditional hierarchy is a pretty well understood thing by and large it's it's so common that people just have a fundamental understanding of of what a corporate hierarchy looks like and and does but i think that these more um these newer and more responsive agile forms of organizing that are really more suited to the modern world and its greater complexity and faster rate of change. I think those things are very much harder for people to understand. I think they can understand the problem, but I think that the organizational structure and operating model is much, much harder for people to understand. And then if you look at, if you look at um, systems like Holacracy, where you've got a big thick manual that really has to be followed quite dogmatically in order for it to work effectively, it's it's just very hard for people to follow. It's hard because everybody in the organization needs to understand this stuff and to be following the rules. And so I think that there is a, an opportunity for software to replace that rule book. I often liken it to the difference between a board game and a video game. With a board game, you really need to learn the rules, understand the rules, and play according to that understanding of the rules. But with a video game, you can only play by the rules. You can't break the rules because they're baked into the system and therefore it's a lot easier to pick up and get started. And yeah, that's broadly what I think we're doing with Colony. I understand your idea that, uh, you know, you want to make distributing power to the edges more efficient by using those kind of protocols and to reduce the hassle, let's say, of having to know those big rule books of more participatory systems, let's say. I'm curious about is like you have to put in place those protocols and someone has to put the brain (laughs) in it, of course. So how much does that role of designing that and programming that essentially just replace who decides or or how do you how do you deal with that design decisions upstream to not interfere with (laughs) something that should be distributed? From what we've seen, there's two ways of going about it. There's the sort of bootstrapping approach where you've got the initial people who basically decide and then they see how it works. And if it works appropriately, then great. If not, then they change things. But what we've seen of some organizations that are already of a certain size is that they sort of follow the advice process in which somebody takes the lead of proposing what something ought to be. 
and they open it out to advice and they listen to that advice and then as with the advice process they can either take it or leave it and um, and then enact the thing and if people disagree with it then they kind of just opt out with their feet yeah and we should note a lot of these decisions end up being non-controversial it's not that there's big fights over these parameters but people have suggestions for changing them because they want to make the work easier for themselves and for everyone and very often it's not that hard to convince people to change these things if you know we're not talking about coercive changes to make someone dictator you know whatever they're not they're not highly controversial not highly fought over so in that sense it doesn't come up as often as you'd think because we're not talking about enforcing the content of decisions we're talking right now about the decisions for how to make decisions and there it's much easier to find broad agreement across uh, people who disagree on the content and actually people can make those changes so the the way things work in colony is by a system that we call lazy consensus which is something we basically cribbed off the apache foundation um or the apache community um and in that people make what we call a motion which is something that is going to happen unless people stop it so yeah that principle even further i suppose is drawn from the sociocratic kind of idea of is it i think it's from sociocracy at least is it safe enough to try is this going this is going to happen unless somebody really disagrees with it um and yeah anybody can disagree with it so somebody could propose some new parameters for um some part of the organization and then it will just happen as long as nobody disagrees with it but if somebody did think it was inappropriate then they could object and then a vote would take place over those parameters and crucially for most decisions that are of technical nature there's you know there's sides where people are very much against something there's elements where people are very much in favor and there's a lot of gray zone where most people are sort of unsure and any system that requires agreement a priori across board before you can make any changes are going to be very static but in this gray zone where people are unsure you want to enable a lot of movements things being tried out and so with this motion if there's someone who has an idea that i think this is going to be better if we tweak this parameter install this extension or even change the decision making parameter in this team and nobody is sure enough to say actually i i'm definitely disagree i'm going to oppose this so then it will likely move forward so that that enables colonies to be very dynamic and experimental and to find you know well faster to find their right settings because i think it's far more in this is a very new space and the organizations need to learn how to use this kind of software we all need to learn what how to use these systems i mean as a you know culturally socially so to an, allow for this relatively easy adaptation and constant changing of parameters within within a space that as long as there's no strong objections to to trying something i mean i don't have a punchline it's just it, i i like this dynam dynamism this easy you're talking about this sociocratic consent you know that uh, that uh, is what uh, what also jack mentioned before this idea of you know inspired by sociocracy that there is an algorithm an algorithm to take decisions basically you know so there's steps to do and then the decision is taken i agree but the, i was specifically trying to say there's a big difference between saying i want to do this are you in favor 
and I want to do this, are you against it? Because if you're not certain enough that you're against it, it does not mean you're necessarily favored, it just means you're okay for it to move along. And there's a, that, so to phrase the question of like, this will happen unless someone objects makes it a lot easier to get things moving and a lot easier to get things tried out and ends up with a lot less bureaucracy. That's actually what I was, uh, I was uh, reinforcing that uh, because, you know, this difference between consensus and consent, you know, that consensus, it's, you know, consent is exactly what you describe and the sociocratic consent is the process, you know, the sociocracy uh, brings about to reach this consent. But uh, the question, my provocation is, you know, my experience of sociocracy is terribly slow. So I'm an entrepreneur. I don't want to, you know, just do governance because it's nice to do. I don't have this interest to spend time in doing governance, share the governance if this is not needed. And, and so I see that essentially in your code, I like it that there is some hard-coded uh, urgency to move forward. You know, it's like, you know, it's okay, we can discuss, but then there are some rules that self-executes at some point. And I wish it could be more configurable, you know, let's say. But at the end of the day, it's, it's not really, I think, a problem of configuration. So here it's a problem of uh, creating these affordances so things can happen maybe faster. But, but you know, the, the, the messy uh, need, need to build the capabilities to do so. Uh, you know, the, the, the question is really about how the technology can overcome this and in, in what ways these new technological affordances can really make organizing less messy than it is uh, in the traditional organizations. What, what do you think about that? So what is this really to what extent the technology can enable this? What, one thing I was thinking about is, for example, the feature that your colony allows to create money, you know, to create the money inside the system so that you can suddenly move away from the market and create these mutual credit systems. That would be great. Another thing that you should, uh, we should explore uh, uh, with, your, with your colonies. And I was also curious to know if you can mention some existing project that can make it also tangible. How, for example, these internal currencies are being used uh, or in general give a little bit more of a use case of, uh, in relationship to what we were discussing here. Okay, there's a few things there. So the first thing I want to jump on is sociocracy being terribly slow. And I, I want to clarify that colony is not uh, sociocracy in code. It's just, it's it's a mismatch of lots of different ideas from lots of different places. That's just one example of it. And I think where colony differs from really every other DAO framework is that colony biases heavily towards action, whereas everything else, as far as I know, biases towards inaction, because everything requires consensus, uh, whereas colony just requires people not to disagree. And we have this forcing function of time marching on, which is the opportunity for people to disagree. So people can set the amount of time that they want to allow for people to disagree to something, uh, which could be as long or as short as they like, depending on the, the nature of the organization. That's the, the, the first part. And I think that the bias towards action in the context of most organizations that are akin to a company is really very important because 
we don't what we don't need is slower organizations and so i think that the other part of what makes colony have the ability to be both decentralized and agile is that you can have different consensus or not consensus but decision making methodologies at different levels of the organization so you might have an organization which contains three levels and this shouldn't really be considered as being like a traditional hierarchy in which power is held by fewer people going up power is held by more people the higher up in the organization you go because it's kind of like circles within circles of there being fewer and fewer people as that can be nested inside one one another as sort of teams within teams if if necessary but where you might have a bias towards caution at the largest scale of the organization on the at the organization level as a whole if you were to drill down two or three levels you might find that you have absolutely no sort of collective decision making uh, required at all but rather with funds that are owned by those teams the consensus process was to get the funds into those teams once it's in those teams those teams are trusted to unilaterally manage those funds and that could just be a handful of people so if they do want to have like uh, the motions and disputes process that we uh, we offer then they could do but it can be moved through faster because there are fewer people to coordinate or alternatively they could just decide that actually they want to give all of the people in that the unilateral permission to spend as much of those funds as they need to so the organization can be both decentralized and trustless and also agile because at the very edges of the organization it requires no complicated decision making processes to get action taken i was still getting caught by this problem of capabilities so of course the technology but then what are these people doing with this exactly you know what are the capabilities needed to run a colony what are the organizations you are seeing emerging in 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 this space enabled by this technology i, I think that we have taken a view generally that like at base all governance within organizations really comes down to um budgeting like if you really if you really boil it down what are we going to spend our money on um because that's being spent on people for the work that they do and everything else is just sort of um garnish upon what are we spending the money on it's a budget allocation mechanism that gets filtered through a reputation system but at the end of the day you're sitting somewhere maybe you're alone maybe you're with a team of four and this whole process once it assigns budget to you you can go and do what you plan to do what you said you would so yes jack is right that's the enabling mechanism i wanted to jump in when you said they make their own currency or make their own token because of course one of the things that blockchains allow us to do is to create these crypto tokens cryptocurrencies all kinds of tokens they do, i specifically want to advise not to immediately think of them as currencies because that comes with a lot of baggage that might not apply and you get the wrong mental models but what these colonies tokens do in the colony system is there an accounting 
of how much of the token was allocated where and to whom. Now, what, whether, whether that turns into monetary value, it, it doesn't have to have monetary value. It might do later. You can start a colony with no budget whatsoever except to you know, pay for the Ethereum gas fees. You can generate your own pseudo-currency and say, imagine we had a million bucks. What would we spend it on? And then you can start spending your accounting token. And the idea is it keeps a, an account of precisely where you allocated them, precisely who contributed how much value to the organization. So it's purely a method of account. And if later down the road you have revenue or you know you, there, there's value coming in, you can fall back on this account um, to reward people. It's also the basis for who gets to take decisions. Uh, a line I like to say is, you know, it's amazing what people will do for fake internet points, right? They will for likes, for upvotes, for hearts. Sometimes it's enough just to be acknowledged. So instead of, you know, you have a colony with no funds, say, okay, everyone just volunteer. You say, no, everyone just, you, if you want to join us at this early stage, you can work and we'll pay you in these own tokens and we'll have a record and you can, you will know exactly how much everyone worked. And if you've done a lot of work, you will be rewarded with, potentially a more decision-making weight because that's one of the modules we we have in colony um and so it's not necessarily financial but but the accounting part is crucial it's crucial psychologically and it's also uh, for um for the governance because it it, it allows to distribute decision-making weight and this idea of being able to create a sort of unit of account to to um contribute contributors is not something which is new to DAOs or blockchain technology. Lots of companies do that already, right? With stock options or they're just the, the, the equity of their company. And it certainly can be, and it is in many cases, quite an analogous to that, um, albeit with, with some important differences. And I think one of them is that it can have additional utility over and above um, that, rep that representation of ownership of the organization at the moment we just have equity and uh, salary and profits basically in organizations so this money here it needs to be these currencies here need to model uh, a function of these uh, I, I don't know really all of these things that you mentioned are quite cleanly definable tokens are they can do more things right so yeah they're software they can do whatever you program the system that uses them to be able to do. So you can create all sorts of economic systems that that uh, are, are that use that token and can cause it to capture value um, in ways that are quite different from the sort of traditional notion of equity and dividends and all that stuff. No, but I mean, I'm totally in line with this uh, also because as we develop this uh, 3EO uh, framework, you know, the framework that we are developing is parted by Hayes, uh, Renden, Hay, and uh, other progressive organizational models, uh, I, we are encountering this. And I must say that also as we transform Boundless itself, the company, we are moving into needing this kind of software. And we are actually building, as I said, uh, 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 this um, software ecosystem around how do you run uh, uh, teams inside organizations, how do you manage this profit and loss, and uh, how do you manage the contracts between them. So uh, I think, uh, for example, Colony should be part of this ecosystem because we are, we are building this ecosystem in a way that is much more 
open and inclusive. So we want to do open source interfaces. Uh, we're looking into what does it mean to run uh, DIO-based uh, uh, infrastructures, basically the idea that, that you can run an infrastructure that is trusted by all parties favoring contracts uh, between organizations. So I'm, I, I think, again, I'm getting to this from the other perspective. Uh, the, the point that I was raising was more about having actual exa examples of companies that are using Colony because, uh, uh, again, I am a bit uh, concerned about the capabilities. So if I think about the colony and its impact in the, in the future of organizing, I'm thinking about what I'm seeing in terms of transition. So we are transitioning into an economy that which is, it needs to be much more, uh, I would say, local and small scale and uh, cooperative, you know, when it comes to food, energy, education, welfare, uh, how do we manage our 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 cities and, and much more and so I, I i was really uh you know having also these experiences of trying to run these projects and kind of uh, crashing myself into building these capabilities and escaping from the capitalistic uh, consumerist economy that sucks us up every day so i think building these capabilities is crucial i was really curious to know what kind of projects are taking up this this technology thanks to these new affordances. What are you seeing? We're seeing quite a broad variety of, of entity types, actually. It's been very interesting to see. Um, we imagined that it would be primarily um, blockchain protocols, uh, DeFi protocols specifically, that would have the most um, pressing need for, for tools like Colony. And we've certainly seen a lot of those, and that's because they have usually got a community, they've really always got a token, and they have very often got quite a substantial treasury, and they want to be able to allocate this treasury. Uh, and for various legal and regulatory reasons, they ultimately need to get to a place where their organization isn't reliant on the core team anymore. Uh, they need to not have that as a, point, a central point of failure. So they need to be both technologically decentralized, which they usually already are, but they also need to be socially decentralized. So I think that the most serious interest comes from that space because they have this pressing need. But what I think has been interesting is that we've seen, as I say, so many other different types. So we've got an INGO that's using Colony uh, for a program in sub-Saharan Africa to enable farmers to um, to uptake more advanced farming methodologies in, and to incentivize them to participate in this in this system that will get them this training that will get them to implement certain farming practices and get them to prove that in exchange for. Um, membership and rewards from this DAO that they're all part of, which is a very exotic use case that I certainly would never have anticipated and is absolutely fascinating to see it unfold. Um, another very common one is um, agencies of various types, usually design agencies or dev shops, things like that, that um, typically have a relatively small internal team and work with a comparatively large external group of contributors or contractors. And they're realizing that 
they can have a less sort of directional relationship between them and the um, and the freelancers, and rather allow them to sort of become more of a, a team of freelancers, so that they can sort of scale the capacity of their business by taking on more projects and those teams self-organizing around the new projects that come in rather than them needing to linearly scale their internal headcount and therefore fixed costs with the increased demand upon their company. So a kind of elasticity of organization um, that can scale to meet the the, the demands the market has of it. Um, What else are we seeing? I think one thing that's surprised me quite a bit is that there's a new kind of community emerging, uh, which is a sort of, I think people are calling them social tokens, but they're, they're basically a community of people who are like-minded, have a shared interest in something. They don't exactly know what they want to do, but they're going to do some stuff and they have got a token that binds them all together. Um, and really as a result of the success of their community and the growth of it ends up accruing value. Yeah, it's it's been fascinating. So you've got so many online communities on the internet, but now they have the ability to have a token and now they can start doing things and allocating tokens to each other. And you don't know what comes out of it. It's not necessarily a business model. And it's one where people love to contribute because people love being involved in communities, even if it's just, as I said earlier, for upvotes. But because these tokens are transferable and can be really owned by people, they can start layering in uh, sort of economic models to, to their to their community. But it's not a prerequisite. And neither is a business no. model or even an idea what you want to do, just that you want to do things together and you've got some shared interests. And it's fascinating to watch. I don't know where this is going yet, but we see a lot of these interests from just online communities who want to self-organize better. It's like we've got our, you know, our forum and we've got our Discord chat channels and we want to see what more we can do as a collective. And then I think the final type of organization, which is perhaps the most surprising to me of all, um, but actually seems to be one of the most serious sort, is, I want to say, legacy businesses, like traditional companies of significant size that are, for whatever reason, deciding now is the time for us to decentralize. We want to dissolve our company and we want to make it into a DAO. And I really didn't see this coming at this point. I thought it could happen in the far future, but but it's been very, very surprising to see that happening. Um, one that has really just taken that idea and run with it is one of the very earliest crypto exchanges called Shapeshift that just earlier on in this, this year made the announcement that they were going to they were going to decentralize their entire organization. Their company would be sunset and it would just become a DAO ultimately. Um, and I'm speaking to another quite large company in London um, in the music industry next week about doing the same kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, it's really very surprising and, and very interesting how much 
how seriously, I suppose, DAOs are getting taken all of a sudden. And I think it has to do with, I mean, the real progress we've made to make them easy to interact with. I mean, what, what Jack was saying, you know, that DAOs are to companies like video games are to board games. Well, the video games we've had in the past have been like console-based text adventures and we're now finally getting to the point of, you know, with graphics and clicky and fun. Like the, the Colony app, as it's been develop, evolving over the past few years, it's finally getting into a point where, I, I mean, we're all really proud of what's come out of it. It's, it's now like I could show this to someone and not be embarrassed by how complex it is and how hard it is to use. It took a lot of work. I mean, the crypto space is very new. The tooling is missing or non-existent. And, um, to, get, to get it to this point where you've been able to hide a lot of the abstractions, a lot of the complexity, to make it intuitive, that was a huge effort, but it's paying off in that we've broadened the number of people who are able to interact with the system tremendously. This is really fascinating. And it, it kind of, um, I had that question for a while, like how this kind of process starts, right? You have such a wide variety of examples. So does it necessarily have to start from scratch where people come together and like, okay, we want to do something or like, could you, do you think be like a kind of evangelist for this in your organization and, and try to convince people or does it require like a sort of people navigating towards it and what is and the second part of the question is like how do you, what do you do in terms of sort of awareness raising or educational elements more than just making it more available like you described do you give some kind of coaching or, or very curious to hear more about who programmed the colony so it's actually a little bit difficult for us to say how it comes about in in existing organizations because we get a relatively narrow window into it we generally don't find that we get like everybody in an organization turning up and saying we want to do this thing there's usually a, a single point person and yeah it's it's very hard for us to tell whether this is because there's broad desire within the organization to do this or it's that person wants to lead the endeavor and has got a bit between their teeth about DAOifying. For the two examples that I've given, it's been, no, three examples. It's been all different levels, actually. So in the case of the INGO, as I understand it, somebody who's really very junior in the organization and has just gradually managed to sell this idea into the, the whole thing, which is amazing. In... Um, and, and in others, it comes from the top. It comes from the CEO, uh, which is sort of equally amazing, really. But crucially, it doesn't require back uh, buy-in from the whole organizations to just get started. Like it's possible to just do it within your small team, and nobody needs to know. And if it works for you, then you're a colony within a larger organization that could also exist. I guess that in most of the organizations I work with, you should ask for permission to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's a guess. It's always better to ask forgiveness than permission. Right, right. I mean, this, this is the, the difference between the people that uh, at some point uh, evolve, you know, and often change organization than the others that instead wait for permission. Oh, I, think that's a, I think that's actually a really interesting point, right? Because you wouldn't be saying the same about just using like picking up Asana or Trello or something like that, right? There's some other SaaS piece of software. You wouldn't think that this is going to be a really consequential thing in the context of this organization. 
why is it different if you've got some unit of account that is a sort of coordinating factor behind people? It feels like DAOs as a piece of software are getting treated quite differently. And it's really just an organizing technique. It doesn't necessarily mean anything more than that. But the interesting thing is that it can do. I mean, you're talking about two things here. No? One is the DAO and one is contribution accounting and reputation. I think these are one and the same thing. I don't know, because, you know, DAOs are a lot of layers and modules, like you have the consensus part, then you have the, the you know, voting part, and then you have this reputation part. And you are modeling this very well in, in the Colony software and, and work paper. Uh, and I think this reputation and value accounting thing, uh, especially if you apply that into the team, is completely different than applying that in a trustless space so in a team is very trusted so the problem here is how do we work and how we account value what do we value how do we distribute our financial uh, uh, but it's much more a cultural and praxis thing so you need to you know we use contribution accounting in our company it's been 10 years maybe you know i've been working in many companies doing contribution accounting and it's always complicated to understand how much do we value this how do we change how do we vote on this and there are practices that we have have been using like you know for example at, at boundless most of the times when we work in governance we basically self-distribute using matrices of percentages and we just set a you know a kind of an average of the value of the task and this is the this is the dark matter it's about you know me having a different reputation in the organization so having legitimacy to take decisions but it's not a, just a software problem, not this capability thing. And I, and I think I want to enter in the last part of this conversation just to connect these uh, with another thing that uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I was catching on your podcast or, or just another one, but uh, I think it was maybe uh, Buterin that said that, that oracles cannot be made secure through crypto economics alone. Okay. Which... I think it's another hint that there is a certain dark matter that it's not a matter of technology, rather it's a matter of avoiding technology uh, in terms of, for example, having a critical relationship with these technologies. And I mean, quoting, for example, or connecting this with the concept of conviviality, for example, which is uh, uh, to some extent critical with regards to the use and adoption of technology in our societies. So when I speak about this, what do you feel? So on the one hand, on, when, you, when you interface with a colony from the outside, you don't have to know how the internal decision-making works. You don't even have to know it's a decentralized autonomous organization or a company pretending to be a DAO. So when you said it, like within, your, within a company, you can't just run a DAO, of course you can, because what does, what, does the, what does the rest of the management see above you? It sees that your department is doing things and you must be managing it well if it does things well. And what, they don't need to know. They don't need to care what, you know, that, that you're using this DAO software to run it. That's exactly the point. That one of the points that I was making, for example, adopting this inside an organization to distribute, for example, reputation. So no money, because most likely your money comes from your salary. So you cannot distribute money inside an organization. And this is exactly the premise that you started from, Jack, that it's all about distributing money. And here you don't have money. Okay, you distribute the tokens, you can distribute the, the reputation. But if this happens inside a bureaucracy, 
It's just in industrial economy replicating itself and destroying the planet, basically. So the question is, can the, should we use this uh, in a way that is critical towards what we actually do with these colonies? Uh, and I mean, for example, working on education, working on uh, food production, working on uh, welfare, working on creating energy infrastructures. Great questions. And um, with a lot of these, you know, we, we, can assume, we can think that what are the problems? Why aren't we addressing some of these big questions? Why aren't we addressing some of these big topics? Is it a failure of leadership? Is it a failure of resources, of funds? Maybe a bit of all of those things. Now, what we're hoping is that with these DAO-like tools, it's easy to get a lot of people to start working on one of the on a problem without needing to get permission, without even needing to get funds a priori. All you need is a is a is a, like a community of like-minded individuals, and you get going. And it should be just as easy as launching a group on Reddit, on Facebook, or Google group. Right? You click it together, you find people, you start doing. That's all it takes. And if you are actually making progress in a in a in an area that interests people, whether it's education or you know the environment, that will be inspiring. More people will join, and these things scale tremendously fast. So we're you know sometimes it's we don't have to get eighty percent, hundred percent of the way there. Maybe it's just maybe the first twenty is the important part. Just get things going, and then letting it run on its own dynamic, on, on dynamism. And the, the ability to easily create an organization with a, with a few clicks, to easily set up, even if it's not money, just a token, pretend it's money, start going. It's tremendously powerful. So when you were saying, how do we ensure or how do we incentivize that DAOs are used to address the topics that we all want to address? Like, I, I'm not sure that's the right question. We already all want to address these problems. The question is, why aren't we doing it now? And what does it take for us to be able to do so? I mean, I don't have the answer, but flexibility and ease of coordination are definitely going to be important ingredients to it. It's a problem worth uh, working on, you mean? <laughs> and I think it makes it easier for people to aggregate around similar problems, right? Because it's, it's well, it's boundaryless. <laughs> it doesn't require anybody to be in any particular place. If you believe in a particular set of values that one organization has, given the permissionlessness that these organizations can have to participating in them, you can just go show up, start contributing value and have a say and, and be useful. I have a question, a specific question to maybe to, to get this to the end, Jack and Aaron. So this to me sounds a lot like a, an infrastructure, no? a knowledge infrastructure that we are building because you don't have any as a service uh, or, you know, another kind of uh, infrastructure building. And probably if you do that, of course, you will be uh, in a decentralized way. So you will probably have a, a run your own infrastructure that's exactly what we think of Colony as being organizational infrastructure for the internet. Yeah, because you have, you have this essentially this idea of having all these organizations to, to some extent being connected to this network, right? And so there, I think there are the network effects. And there, there is the, the dark matter. It's in these marketplaces of people connected. Uh, and so we have to really make the, those infrastructures connect people and a change, you know, because there is where there is the 
the capability to become better, you know, to learn, to exchange faster, to relate with the others. But by dark matter, do you mean some exotic but nebulous sort of aspect to an organization that really gives it its substance, but you can't really define? Master in anything you do, because essentially we, we started with saying, uh, is it the commoditization of organizing? You said no. And I said, you know, entrepreneurship can never be commoditized. It's always in genesis phase. So that's the exact point we're talking about when we say the dark matter. Okay, the technology, the technology can become a utility, but the entrepreneurship in terms of value chain, the entrepreneurship, it cannot be commoditized. It's a genesis act. So this is the capability I'm talking about. So, uh, of course, uh, we needed the technology, and I really love this project. Uh, but uh, uh, maybe the question would be, how do we connect these capabilities so that people can learn from each other and generate these platforms that really, uh, on top of the technology, uh, make these uh, changes happen? So uh, maybe this is the future, not where we can go with also, where you could go also with Colony. What do you think? I actually think this is one of the beautiful things about decentralized, open source, permissionless frameworks and tools. Yeah, it can be built. Absolutely. They're, they're composable and they're open for anybody to just decide that they are going to start adding value and layering them on top of one another. And then, yeah, it ends up this sort of wonderful mosaic of, of all sorts of different components then you don't really, in some cases, know where one ends and another begins. I think you, you guys are really doing an interesting work, and I really encourage all our listeners to catch up with what you're doing, with your podcast, with your white paper, which is a bit too nerdy for me. But uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't know. I was looking for videos on YouTube, like you know, a synthetic review of of the white paper, uh, but I couldn't find them, so I had to read it. And, uh, uh, and it is a technical white paper, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and uh, but I mean, this is essential. No? It's like the the bare uh, uh, math that you need to run the organization in a way that is according to what we shared during the the conversation. Also with this impetus to actually make things happen, which I like. I like very much. Uh, Stina, I don't know if you have some closing thoughts before we just ask for more information about where to find all this uh, great uh, stuff. No, I just think this was really, I love the metaphor board game and video game, like thinking like that really helps and and starting to see those kind of interfaces and even someone like myself who who would be a bit put off by all the maths in the white paper and say, oh, yeah, I don't know if this is for me, but I think this conversation has really made me feel more like, okay, I, I understand a bit more now what what it could be, you know, like. Uh, why not, like, if we have Trello, why not have the DAO for similar sort of purposes, but more, much more advanced and much more interesting and exciting. So thanks a lot uh, for the conversation. It was really interesting. Yeah, this has been fun. So, guys, just a, a last bit, if you want to just give a couple of pointers to our listeners to find what you, what you do. Absolutely. So you can find our website at colony.io. And you can follow us on Twitter at Join Colony. And you can, um, via our website, is probably the easiest way to get to our Discord community, which is really where we both do the work of building Colony. And we welcome everybody who's interested in DAOs, decentralization, 
new forms of organizing um, to come and contribute and share their thoughts and ideas. Thank you so much. Aaron, do you want to add a couple of bits? No, that pretty much is it. Go to colony.io and join our Discord because we're all there most days. We'll happily answer questions and you'll find, again, like-minded people willing to discuss, you know, I mean, that's always the first step. You have to find like-minded people. It's step one in any online community building and that our Discord is currently the place to do it. Probably that's how you do it, actually, <laughs> by connecting with the community of practice. So thank you so much. It was an amazing conversation. I'm happy that the season started like that. Thank you so much again. Thank you. It's been great. Thanks. And to our listeners, catch up soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boundless Conversation podcast. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share this episode on social media, review our show on any major distribution platform, and don't forget to subscribe for new episode releases. Stay tuned on www.platformdesigntoolkit.com for our latest news and updates. There, you can also find our free design tools, opportunities to learn how to use them, or connect directly with us to use our help in designing your platform and ecosystem strategies in these turbulent times. We also want to thank Walter Mobilia Leo Sound for the ad hoc music.